Hey indie filmmakers, I'm Griffin Hammond. Happy Valentine's Day. This week I have two audio downloads in your podcast feed. One that was published right before this one is a quick episode explaining how Amy and I actually met through video production. Amy is my wife. And this right here, you're listening to a rebroadcast of episode seven, the episode that we broadcasted last year on Valentine's Day. It's Nick and I explaining our workflow for wedding film production. So Nick, we are here on a Tuesday, a day early for our podcast. Day early. But that's because it's Valentine's Day and we're in the YouTube space. We're using one of their VO rooms right now. It's very exciting. (laughs) But we're here to talk about what got us into video production, really. Like what got us into freelance weddings. Weddings. So we were in high school. Yeah. And we were the video nerds, I guess. We were in TV production class. Yeah, we were like sophomores, juniors, and uh, we had a lot of young teachers at our school. It was a new school. This was Neuqua Valley High School in Naperville, Illinois. And people came asking if we could shoot weddings for them. And we, were, we were like, sure, you're yeah. going to pay us like $100 or something? <laughs> that we sounds make like, like... $100 or $200 on I our first I think 200 wedding. total. We each made 100 on our first couple weddings. Uh, Not a lot of money for a wedding. <laughs> a lot of work. But yeah, that's what got us into it. We were shooting with our, our standard definition Sony Handycams. Yep. Uh, we had two tripods. It wasn't a, a major operation, but it was good enough for our clients. How many weddings did we do like that? I mean, we did a lot. I mean, we did years of weddings on those Handycams, I feel like. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, I, I can't remember the exact number. Maybe we did six weddings that way or ten. I don't know. It was a and then I kept doing it that way, even after you went off to film school and stuff. I was still shooting weddings oh, wow. on that camera. And then eventually in 2010, we picked up our high-definition equipment. Yep. And the point was to do weddings more. Yep. That's why we got GH1s. We got, uh, well, we had one GH1 and one Panasonic camcorder. It's why we had microphones. Everything we were getting was to shoot weddings. weddings. Yep, absolutely. And... I did, I don't know, maybe I did 10 more weddings that way. How many weddings have you done? I mean, a ton. I was, I mean, I think you did I, more I, than me. I still have some on the books. I, so I, I'm not done doing weddings. Right. I, you know, I, uh, I think I probably did 10 a year for the last, since we bought that equipment, maybe. Yeah. Maybe a little less some years, but yeah. Uh, a very fair number of, of weddings. Again, not my primary source of income, but just something I always did to kind of supplement right. some side income. And, keep me in the in the video game so today i want to go through some of our production techniques uh i have some questions for you because i because you're still doing weddings I'm, I'm curious about how that's going but before we even talk about how to shoot a wedding i guess i just want to tackle why you might want to do them and why you would not want, not to, want to do, do them. them. <laughs> yeah there's plenty of reasons for both i mean i think I keep telling people that they should shoot weddings because it was how we got into it. It seems like a very easy way to get into freelance because there are so many. Like, people are getting married all the time. Like, every week somebody's getting married. And especially if you're young, you probably know someone who's engaged. I mean, actually, that's why we're doing this on Valentine's Day is today someone you know is probably getting engaged boom client (laughs) and they may come asking (laughs) and maybe your first wedding i mean i think doing a wedding for a friend is a great way to get into it because there's maybe less pressure yeah and 
I always suggest, you know, if you're going to do a wedding for free, let them know, like, no guarantees. Like, if there's yeah. something very specific they want, they should go pay somebody who's done it before. But yeah. if you're doing one for free or for cheap, make sure you set expectations appropriately. And not everyone even wants a wedding video. I mean, everyone wants a photographer. Absolutely. And they're going to pay a lot for a photographer. They may not be willing to pay a lot for a wedding. So that helps you. That Maybe there's not as much pressure on the wedding video because yep. maybe they weren't going to have one anyway. Uh, but also it is kind of the limitation of weddings that at at my peak, I mean, we started at $100 or $200 for a wedding. I got up to, for a while I was charging around 1500 I think I was finally charging as much as 3000 when I left central Illinois. And I felt like that was a price that people weren't saying no, so they liked my product. They were, that was, that was a price that worked in that market. But at the same time, I was able to charge other kinds of freelance projects, I could charge more. Mm-hmm. If I'm charging $200 an hour, well, that's what I charge now in New York, but um, in Illinois, I think I was charging $100 an hour. Even at that rate, I might want to charge $4,000 for weddings. It's probably going to be forty or 50000 or 50 uh, hours of work. It's a ton of work. But I just felt like couples, young people getting married, probably don't have more than about 3000 to spend on a video. I just didn't think the market would support much higher, you at least would, for my work. Yeah, it depends where you're at, too. Yeah. And so we were, what, in central Illinois? There was not a lot of super high-end weddings going on. Yeah. But when I'm, I moved back up to the suburbs of Chicago, there were more high-end weddings in Chicago. So I, I just pulled up my website because I honestly didn't remember what I charged. <laughs> I have three packages, and they range from two to $3,000. It's yeah. kind, of, kind of a good range, with the middle package at 2500 being the one that, that I think I, I yeah. usually do. So I haven't booked a wedding in years. Uh, I guess the last one I did was probably for a friend. I mean, I still have friends every once in a while who yeah. are getting married. Uh, but are you still booking clients? Uh, I'm not taking new clients anymore. I still have some on the books from when I was taking clients, and yeah. sometimes they book a year or two out. Um, so I moved to Las Vegas and decided not to start shooting wedding videos in Las Vegas. It's actually kind of a weird place because of all the casinos and chapels don't let videographers in. They make oh. they use their own. Um, but I still have some clients back in Chicago, uh, and I, uh, I hire out uh, a videography team to shoot it for me, and then yeah. I, I edit. So I'm really curious about that because I have not been great at outsourcing work. Like, how are you... How are you taking booked weddings, and how are you finding people to help you? Well, uh, I, I think I found the uh, the team I'm using now on Reddit. You know, I was on like oh, yeah. the Reddit videography, or maybe even wedding videography subreddit, which is out there. So if you guys uh, are are online, go check that out. A lot of good information online. And somebody was kind of starting out their videography business. They had shot some weddings. I got I looked at you know, two or three different people and, and their reels and said, okay, you're doing a great job. Cool. They charge me an hourly rate. And then, uh, you know, I, I take, they deliver the footage to me and I, I deliver. And how the are they package. getting it to you? I mean, that's a lot of footage. It's a lot of footage. Um, we actually, I've been using something called, uh, it's like a BitTorrent sync uh, oh, okay. program. Yeah. It, it actually, that. it's, so maybe it takes six or eight hours for it all to transfer, but yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's a, 20 or 30 gigs of data. But essentially, anymore. they're not uploading it to the cloud. It's on their machine. And You're it pulling right it directly my, off their yeah. machine over... Yeah. It takes a while, yeah. yeah. Which actually might be something we want to do for yeah. sending our footage back and forth. We had a little trouble last episode. Yeah, right now we've been alternating between, like, Google Drive or Dropbox <laughs> or, like, Microsoft uh, to send. OneDrive, yeah. Yeah. Having trouble along the way. So... You brought up the fact that people book these things way in advance, and I think that's another reason 
I've kind of gotten out of it is because the price tag's a little bit lower, and yet these clients who want weddings want to put them on your calendar like a year and a half in advance. Absolutely, yeah. And just compared to a corporate job where you could schedule it three weeks in advance, and then even then you could probably push it a day yep. if you had to. A wedding, you can't go to the bride and say, actually, I'm not going to be available. I have a better project coming along. <laughs> uh, can we just move this to Sunday? That's yeah. just not going to happen. For me, I always like shooting weddings because as someone with a full-time job that was not in video, Saturdays are usually when weddings are. And yeah. it was just perfect. You know, like my Saturdays are usually open. You know, if I do one or two of them a month, uh, just a nice way to to add that supplemental income. So I didn't really care that I was booking up Saturday so far out, but I can totally understand when you're shooting other types of freelance work, you're like, I need my Saturday. Yeah. So let's talk real quick about what people are getting for $2,500 or $3,000. Sure. So like my weddings, I would give them, they, they'd get the full length ceremony, mm -hmm. which for a lot of weddings is probably 25 minutes. 30 minutes some i mean up to catholic an, weddings, up to an yeah. hour yeah absolutely <laughs> they can be much longer uh and then they're going to get a cut down version of the reception that's i mean it can't be full length because a reception's like four hours yeah, exactly but it's going to be full length speeches and full length first dance and mother yeah i always call it the the major events so yeah. intros cake cutting first dances speeches you know, if they do guard room bouquet toss, right. I usually put in a little bit of dancing. I might do like kind of a montage of everybody just yeah. kind of partying for a little bit. But um, you can't show three hours of dancing. No. There's just no reason and to. And sometimes brides ask for that. They're yeah. like, uh, they want to see it all. And so I think it's important to set, again, set expectations up front that we're not going to be shooting, you know, four hours of just people dancing and then trying to edit that in a way that makes it interesting because right. that's brutal. Um, so I just say the major events with a little bit of dancing is usually yeah. what I what I include. Well, and I think it, it makes sense to set expectations that I imagine a lot of people who would who want to shoot weddings consider themselves an artist, not just a videographer. Right. Like you could just set up a camera on a tripod and capture everything, but it won't look beautiful. Exactly. And if you want to run around with a camera and get the best shots, you're not going to catch everything. Yep. But you'll catch most of it. So my clients would get maybe on average 30 minutes of ceremony maybe almost an hour of, of reception, reception stuff. Yep. And then I'm also giving them a five-minute short film, which is kind of the best of everything, yep. show off all my best shots. And then, I mean, for a long time, I had to try to figure out how to burn a DVD. But <laughs> yeah. nowadays, it's pretty hard to burn DVDs. Not a lot of software does it anymore. I don't think Adobe even supports Encore anymore. Yeah, they haven't updated it in a long time. But luckily, my last few clients are modern people and understand that uh, they, they really just want web videos. Yeah, I, you know, if, if I were continuing to do wedding videos, that's definitely something I would do. Right now, I do still deliver DVDs and online. So I put it on YouTube and then I, I create DVDs for people. Yeah. I use Encore. It still works for now. <laughs> you know, someday it's not going to. But yeah, I build, a, you know, a nice project with, you know, menus and things like that. I actually bought a, like a wedding template for encore i think it yeah. was called a zip kit i forget who makes it um but it was only like 50 or 100 dollars, and i've used that very successfully it's quick it's easy to put together it looks nice and then what i do is i actually have a dvd production company that i use so i okay. just send an iso and i do the graphics for the for the box art yeah and they print and ship it and i don't have to deal with like burning 10 dvds or however many the customer wants yeah and final cut has 
DVD burning built in. There's just not a lot of options. Yeah, you know, it, and it always seems to add like a silly menu that, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never been been a big fan of what's built in there. Although for a long time I was a perfectionist about everything, and then I, and then I kind of realized like the client, most clients are not going to care like what the DVD menu looks like. Yeah, there was a time when I would make like a personal different DVD menu for every client. I was doing one that had After Effects involved, and yeah. I'd have to render out After Effects for every menu with, like, particle effects and all this stuff, and I yeah. realized simpler is better. Yeah. You'll, you'll find that if you get into wedding videos, streamlining your process and anywhere you can cut out a couple of hours of, of work just makes it that more much more feasible to, to do it at this price point. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's something that I've I've kind of struggled with with weddings. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm a perfectionist. I want to take the time with every short film to make it unique and special. And and the way I like to look at footage as a documentary guy is I kind of want to experiment with it and see where that footage takes me. Sure. Which has kept me from doing the really exciting thing in wedding videos, which is same-day edits. Yeah. You don't do same-day edits. No, I've had people ask about same-day edit. So a same-day edit is literally like you you shoot the ceremony, and at the reception, there's like a highlight film ready to show everybody of what the ceremony was and, you know, the bride getting ready and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, I've had people ask about it. I've looked into doing it. You basically need extra staff with you. You've yeah. got to have somebody whose job is only to just start editing on the laptop as soon as footage is coming in throughout the day and uh it was just not feasible at the price point people wanted um and i'm really impressed by the people who do it oh my gosh absolutely but at the same time i also know that you can't be fully creative if you're doing same day edits because what you would have to do is storyboard this thing out and just I imagine you're making every same day edit the same. Yeah, like shot of the bride doing this, shot of the yeah. bride doing that. We always get Coming the slider the shot of the of the dress and the yeah. slider shot of the ring, and we're gonna get the one shot of them doing X. Like you would just have to know, I'm only gonna shoot these ten shots and almost have it laid out in the timeline already. Music yeah. there, titles are there, and with like dummy yeah dummy shots. And I think and my style is just I like to shoot a lot of stuff and see what happened. Right, and I don't think that would work with the same day edit. Yep. So we give them the the five-minute thing. We give them the roughly hour and a half uh, amount of footage. That's what they get for – is that what they get in your $2,500 package? Exactly, yep. What what is your $3,000 package? Basically, it has to do with how much of the day we cover. Yeah. So my cheapest package is just the ceremony, so for somebody on the budget. And some people want that, yeah. It's pretty rare. (laughs) Nobody ever really seemed to pick it, but it's there to make my prices look lower, I guess. Yeah. And Um, I think some people have receptions that maybe they – Maybe they feel like don't need to be on camera. Maybe they're not good enough. <laughs> or maybe they just like feel like the reception is more of a private family time. Yeah, absolutely. And they don't need you there for that. Uh, my middle package has ceremony and reception, just like you'd expect. Yeah. And then the high-end package is if they want me to come before the ceremony okay. and get you know the bride getting ready and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So it's just how much of the day they want yeah. covered. I would always get, unless they asked me not to come, sometimes they wouldn't want me to come early. But I always wanted to get the preparation it's you, like you get some of the best shots yeah. there, but uh, it's the perfect it, fodder for the short film. Yeah, it can make for a long day, you know, if they're having a they're at eight or nine a.m. as opposed to one or two o'clock. Usually, is when ceremonies start. So, yeah. Now, especially with the short film in mind, I would shoot everything in in high frame rate to get slow motion. Yep, absolutely. And on our earlier cameras, that meant shooting like in seven twenty, so we could get sixty frames per second. I think. You know, on the last few GH cameras, I could shoot 1080 at 60 frames per second. Now I potentially could shoot a wedding in 4K 
and 60p, <laughs> slow the whole thing down to 24 or 30 to get that really beautiful, beautiful slow yeah. motion. Do you shoot everything in slow-mo? I shoot everything in 60 yeah. um, for prep stuff. Once I get to the actual ceremony, I usually um, drop it down to 24 since yeah. I know that's what I'm going to be delivering in. Yeah. I often would shoot an entire wedding in 60, even all the stuff, because I never know which part I might want to grab as a uh, as a slow motion shot. But that, that poses a shutter challenge. Yep. I think I was probably shooting most of my weddings before I really understood the 180 degree shutter rule that you would ideally be shooting a shutter speed that's double your frame rate yeah twice as fast as your frame rate uh but if i'm shooting everything in 60 at a 1 120th shutter speed that's a pretty fast shutter if i'm going to drop it down to 24 frames but i think i was in practice actually shooting everything with a 1 60th shutter yeah you know Especially I, I shot uh primarily on a gh2 yeah. which you know compared to gh3 gh4 gh5 low light wise is not nearly as good so I would often have to crank the ISO up to like 1600 and drop my shutter speed down to like 1 30th. I would of do that sometimes too. Just yeah. because I was like, it's better to be ex- properly exposed than, yeah. and, than have the perfect motion blur. Yeah, around. and a ceremony is not a lot of movement anyway. Right. So it, uh, it, it doesn't really look too bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the receptions are often really dark. I yep. sometimes would counsel people when they're planning their wedding, like, don't do it in pitch black because video doesn't exist in the dark. Yeah. And I never wanted to be the videographer with a light on yeah, his me camera. Neither. Uh, you know, walking around. I understand around. wanting to bring that, but I just couldn't be that guy. It's too no. obtrusive for me. Occasionally, um, I've seen videographers come with like LED light panels. They almost set up next to the DJ that just throw yeah. a nice light out, and that's fine. But I, the on-camera light walking around, I feel yeah. like you're just intruding on a special day. So yeah. I, I shot available light, and I just told them if you if the dance floor is lit it'll look great if it's not it's going to be dark and that's just i'm capturing what it was like if it was dark that's what they're going to see well i always think the on-camera light has kind of a a bad television news look like when you put it right above the camera all the shadows are just washed out well they're and they're perfectly straight back from the lens so there's just this very specific it's like the blair witch uh, look and Especially if the light and the camera are moving together, you can tell that they're mm-hmm. on each other. And it just it's not a great look. I mean, if you were going to have a light, I would try to put it to the side or yep. put it by the DJ booth, like you said. So neither of us are bringing lights. I'm, I was often shooting with a lens I actually just sold, my Sigma 30-millimeter lens. It was an F1.4 lens. So as far as primes on Micro Four Thirds go, that it's fast lens. let in a pretty good amount of light. Yeah. It wasn't perfect in all situations, but like you said, just kind of set expectations with a bride and groom. Like, don't do your wedding in the dark. What lens did you use? I would use a lot. I had an Olympus, uh, or I still have it, 45 millimeter. I think it's an F1.8 or F1.7. Yeah. And then the uh, Panasonic Pancake, the 20 millimeter F1.7, yeah. I think is what it is. Yeah. Uh, those are my go to. Now, shooting outdoors, I might switch to a zoom lens that was a little slower, um, just to give me a little more flexibility. Um, but that, or a really well lit ceremony, I would use that too because I had the forty to one forty, whatever the kit lens was. I think on the GH one. Yeah, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. So I still have that lens, great lens, but just not quite as fast. Yeah, so. that lens. It's an. This is the the Panasonic fourteen to one forty millimeter. It's an f four through five eight. Yeah. So it it darkens as you zoom in, and four and five eight sound like pretty similar numbers, but they're not. <laughs> but five six is half as much light as f four. Yeah. That's how f-stops work. Uh, each step is, is is half as much light, so it's significantly darker. But it's not a, so it's not a great reception lens. But I found myself always using that lens 
for ceremonies. Even when I got nicer glass. You wanted that range, though. Yeah, yeah you just can't beat. 14 millimeter is a perfect wide shot. Like, mm-hmm. you can walk up to someone, zoom all the way out, and you're getting that great point of view shot. It's a great yeah. glide cam shot. Yeah. We would do a lot of glide cams in weddings. Yeah. <laughs> to get those beautiful flowing. Uh, it's a perfect uh, focal length for that. And then 140 was a great close-up of the bride or groom. Yeah, when you're off to the to the side shooting. Yeah. So maybe not a great indoor dark church lens, but man, it just had the perfect range for weddings. Yep. And I could get like a like. Did you ever shoot with primes inside a church? That would be difficult. If it were really dark uh, and I couldn't use that zoom lens, that's what I would have to do. I'd yeah. use my 45, which was just the longest prime I had, yeah. uh, and just try and get as close as possible. Yeah. But you kind of need zoom range. You, you really know, do in a ceremony because really things do. are gonna. Everyone's moving around. Even when you go to the rehearsal and you kind of learn how it's all going to go down. I stopped going to rehearsals because I pretty much understood how weddings work. Yeah, I stopped going to rehearsals too a long time ago. But I think when you're starting out, though, it's yeah. really important to understand the flow of what's going to happen, where people are going to stand. The thing is you'll you'll do the rehearsal and forget that there's going to be a full audience of people standing in your way. So you kind of have to imagine what everyone's going to look like standing up as the bride comes in when you pick your camera yeah. positions. And even if you don't need it, it can be a great way just to endear yourself to the family sure. and let everyone get to know you and get comfortable being around you, especially since uh, at the reception you're going to be around all these people. They're going to be maybe drunk, <laughs> dancing. <laughs> Probably. The more you're friendly to everyone, whether it's the the photographer, getting to know him or her, uh, I mean, everyone in the in the wedding party, they're going to give you better stuff. They're going to do f- more fun things in front of you if, yeah, you're, if exactly. they're cool with you. Did you ever do the... Uh... The interview the guests and have a message for the bride and groom? I have when I've been asked yeah. to. Occasionally someone says, a bride and groom says, oh, it'd be so nice if you could talk to these people. Uh, but normally I wouldn't do, I wouldn't try to do that myself. But I would always interview the bride and the groom. Yeah. Did you do that? I didn't, but I always loved when you did that in your videos. Yeah. It was wonderful. I think it's the, it's the documentary guy in me. Like, I know that music and B-roll especially slow motion B-roll, can all be really beautiful. But, man, if you can get the groom's voice saying how much he loves the bride. It's gold. Yeah, you it's just gold. put all three of those things together, <laughs> and you're you're guaranteed to make people cry when they watch the video. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it's it's easy storytelling to just get them on camera saying, I'm so in love, uh, we've been looking forward to this day, you know, when I met her, all that, you know, you could – you get some really beautiful things. What I would use is I would find pieces of the speeches, and yeah. I would kind of use that in lieu of, of doing an interview like that, but I, I like the interview yeah. stuff. And I think I started doing that probably inspired by your videos, that I started just pulling like a piece of a speech, maybe something that the father said during a toast, something great that the pastor said during the ceremony, and just plug them in as little like Nat sound breaks yep. uh, in the short film. Would you use multiple songs in your short films, or you usually just pick a song and, and roll with it? I would usually use at least two. So I would ask the bride and the groom uh, when we were setting up or planning the whole thing, what music do you like? And I'd ha- I, I would always have to remember to get the music early because after the wedding, you've shot the wedding, most couples leave the country or something, <laughs> or they go somewhere for a honeymoon, and you might be in the middle of editing and if you You're don't like, I know, need the song. I can't edit until yeah, I have this But music. they're not like answering email yeah. during their honeymoon. So get that stuff in advance. And then a lot of people always ask me about copyrighted music. Like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to tell you that you should or should not use copyrighted music. 
but I just figure these are mostly private videos. We're not trying to show them to the whole world. I was comfortable putting music that brides and grooms wanted to hear. Yeah, I usually did too, and um, it actually sometimes becomes a problem. It I, does. Like Vimeo stopped letting any copyrighted music. Facebook too. A lot of brides would try to upload their wedding video to Facebook, and it would get and blocked. It would block it. YouTube, for the most part, you know, they have all the licenses with the artists. Yeah. One problem they'll have is I'll upload the entire reception, and there's some artists out there that just, they don't want their stuff on there, and it'll block your whole reception, even though it's just picking up the music in the background from, like, the first yeah. dance. Uh, Elvis songs are usually blocked. So if they're dancing to um, an Elvis song in one of their first dances, you can't really put it up on YouTube. It just gets blocked. You either have to take that piece out or lay different audio over it or something. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, know that when you use copyrighted music, you'll run into all sorts of problems. But I just can't imagine a bride saying, like, yeah, don't use my favorite Taylor Swift song. Please use a license-free <laughs> track that I've never heard before. Yeah, exactly. But if you're going to advertise with your stuff, I mean, you might make a, a reel uh, promoting your, your wedding work. You probably should use some sort of license-free track for that. Yeah. Let's see. What else have we not talked about? Oh, you. we were talking about setting up cameras and, and the range of the zoom lenses. And I realized that many of our first weddings, I would always forget which side I should put the close-up camera on. You always want to set the close-up camera on the right side of the house, so house right, yeah. because the bride is on the left and the groom is on the right. So when they turn to face each other, if you want to get the bride's face, you want to be on the right side to, to grab her face. Now, if you have multiple people, multiple cameras, it's great to have both. But yeah. for, for me, I was often shooting two-camera ceremony, so I'd have a wide shot in the back, or even better, if they had a balcony, I'd put it up in the balcony shooting down, yeah. and then I would shoot close-ups uh, from the right side of the of the house and, and grab those close-ups that way. Yeah, I guess if I was super professional, I would have a symmetrical layout where sure. we have a close-up on the right side looking at the bride, close up on the left side looking at the groom and they'd be the same shot That'd right be great but in reality we were always doing these alone alone <laughs> or i mean we did originally do them together yeah. but we still only had two cameras so yeah. it was one of us running a wide shot and, and when we started i think we did need both cameras manned because like we didn't know enough about weddings to right. know how to set a camera we'd probably screw it up in fact do you remember <laughs> i did screw up a shot in the most important wedding i ever filmed no, what'd you do? <laughs> My wedding. Oh, <laughs> yes. No, let, let's be clear. I, I set the shot, and it was perfect, it was and perfect. you came and were like, no, this is all wrong. And you, what did you do? You cut off your head or something? Yeah, we had a, a wide shot set up that looks wonderful, and then uh, you set up the second camera as a close-up on Amy and I as we were getting married. And we, we had a small ceremony. Like, Outdoor. The cameras were able to be really close. It was yeah. nice. Um, but I came over, and I looked at it, and, of course, no one's in the shot yet. I'm just looking through the viewfinder going, this could probably be tighter. Because if it's, <laughs> if it's a tight, beautiful close-up, it'll just be that much more emotional. <laughs> and uh, rolled the whole ceremony. And then when I played it back in the editing, realized, yeah, it was, like, perfect on Amy, but, like, cutting off my entire forehead. Which, if you're cutting off a little bit, it could have been usable. But I was like, it was, like, <laughs> at your eye line. At my <laughs> eyes, which is not a usable shot. So I just had to pretty much throw that away. And I didn't have... So, so what did we learn? <laughs> Always trust Nick. <laughs> Always trust Nick. I shot more weddings than you. It's probably yeah. the only thing I've done better than you ever. Yeah. Although your highlights always look better than mine. You did actually do a great edit 
of your wedding video where you just had everyone's like photos or, you know, cell phone videos and stuff. You kind of combined them all together. Yeah, I didn't have a wedding videographer for my own wedding, which tells you something about the value. <laughs> Do people value wedding videos? The guy who makes them doesn't even want to pay for one. Well, you're one of the cheapest people I've ever met. So <laughs> it was a cheap wedding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just I, I shot the ceremony. I picked up a camera a few times during the reception and just got some fun stuff. But mostly I just asked all my friends, a lot of video people. Yeah. I mean, you shot some stuff during my wedding, just picked up the camera. Yeah. Uh, but then got cell phone video, got everyone's photos. I just collected them all. I, I even made like a, an FTP upload site for people to send me all their stuff. And I just kind of... And your video came out great. I yeah, mean, you have a, a very nice little highlight film. Yeah. Just a couple of minutes long, right? I'll put that in the in the show notes at hey.film so okay. you can watch my <laughs> wedding. Which I'm in. Yeah. As one of your groomsmen. So I feel like... I mean, we we can't tackle everything. Uh, I'd love to get questions from from our listeners. If you guys have questions about specifics about weddings, love to answer those. Happy to. So yeah. send them our way where we're at. I mean, you can you'll find our email addresses at hey dot film. Uh, he's Nick at hey dot film. I'm Griffin at hey dot film. Yep. And we also are on Twitter now. Yeah at at hey dot at hey film podcast. hey film podcast. So the Twitter tweet account. at us. Yeah. I just got that added. And now I'm I'm having too much fun. With the, uh, with the Twitter account. I think I'm driving Griffin crazy. <laughs> In just a moment, we're answering questions about DSLR recording limits, asking good interview questions, and what format to shoot commercials in. Handy Filmmakers is brought to you by Tongle. Tongle is the website where it's full of creative projects that filmmakers can do right now to get paid. In fact, you don't even have to be a filmmaker. Even if you just come up with an idea for a great video, those idea creators can, can get paid as well. So check out Tongle today. There's over 120,000 writers, animators, and filmmakers in the Tongle creative community, and you can be one of them by visiting Tongle.com. That's T-O-N-G-A-L.com. Our first question today comes from Bob. Uh, it was an email I got from him. Uh, it was in response to our last episode. He really liked us talking about working with the gear you have and not always having, like, severe camera lust like you can make well, great stuff today. i always have severe camera <laughs> lust but you have to overcome that and, and actually go out and make stuff with what you got so like he said that he made the switch from canon cameras last summer to a panasonic gh4 he was looking to shoot 4k which sure. he says he wouldn't have been able to do uh, with a cheap canon so now he's pretty excited about the gh5 but he's decided he's going to stick with the gh4 uh, based maybe partly on what we said uh, because the gh4 really can do everything he, he needs but he's he's feeling like too many people in New Orleans where he lives have that gear lust, as he writes, or <laughs> snobbery, and that it needs to be addressed. <laughs> hey, people, chill out. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I I often think about that phrase, like, the best camera is the one you have on you, right? Yeah. Like, on your vacation, sometimes the iPhone is your best camera because it's the one you have with you. But if you don't have a camera, you're not going to make your film. You're not going to shoot creative things. So use the stuff you have. I mean, we did that for a long time. We we got by on Sony Handycams. I mean, we shot a lot of little projects on Sony Handycams, yeah. and we're very happy with our results at the time. I mean, I, I, I get a lot of emails from very young, aspiring filmmakers. They're talking about shooting their first film, and they're trying to figure out what gimbal they need and what... Uh, like monitor an external recorder so they can get 10-bit out of the camera. And I'm just thinking like, man, your first film 
it's going to be great in a lot of ways. You're going to learn a lot of things. But a year later, you're going to look back at it and go like, that was bad. (laughs) (laughs) Like, because you'll learn so much with each project. So I don't think you need to feel like you have to shoot every single project, especially your first one, perfectly. Right. Because you probably won't even know how to use that really great equipment very well. And there's there's so much more that goes into making something that's enjoyable to watch than all the technical fiddly bits. Yeah. Like, I don't have the perfect gear and the perfect camera. And I, I always want to wait until I've really hit that ceiling when my creativity is bigger than what the camera lets me do. And by then, I know exactly what it is that the limitation is. Like, maybe the camera doesn't shoot high frame rate and I really need to shoot some slow motion stuff. So then let's move on or rent that camera. I don't even sure. need to go buy it. So I think, yeah, just, just wait until you've, you've maxed out what your stuff can do and then move on. Or, or work within the limitations, you know? Yeah. You know, if you're starting out, you don't have to have good slow-mo. You can just come up with a project that doesn't need that and, yeah. and work within the limitations of what you have. Yeah. I always like to, to be creative with what you have in front of you. Like yeah. if you have actor, you have friends who have amazing skills, put those, write those skills <laughs> or those props that you have or that great location that you have. I like to be kind of creatively boxed in. Like, yeah, it gives you a starting point and, and a push. Yeah, and you'll make the thing that's unique to you because you can, you can make the thing that no one else can make because of the unique abilities and, and Do stuff. Do you remember you our first full-length feature project? Have we mentioned that on the podcast was it, yet? Was it Naper Witch Project? The, yeah, the Naper Witch Project. We mentioned Blair Witch a, a little bit ago and it made me think of that. Yeah. That was fantastic. Well, and it's a, it's a good example of people always say that, uh, especially young people when they're first getting into any creative field, especially film, they spend time just copying. And that's what we did. We just made our versions of what other people had already made. <laughs> yeah. But you kind of have to spend a lot of time doing that and kind of figuring out what you're good at and what, like, how did they do it? Kind of reverse engineering the way that other people made films. Yep, absolutely. We got a question, uh, uh, a YouTube comment from a YouTuber. I cannot pronounce this name. Nipautarzalni. Two. <laughs> two. <laughs> I got the two part. Uh, he's wondering, how do you get along with the time limit in DSLRs, especially during interviews? And he says, greetings from Poland, by the way. So that's kind of a European thing, right? Yeah. As I understand it, many cameras that are sold in Europe to get around some tax issue would stop recording at 29 minutes, 59 seconds. If like, it was over 30 minutes, it's like classified as a camcorder, which like a, had, yeah. is taxed higher. I guess, yeah. But I've heard from Panasonic, they seem to think that some of their competitors are kind of relying on that as an excuse. Like, I'm told that the like the Sony, some of the Sonys still can't record more than 30 minutes, and that maybe they would actually overheat. Oh, yeah. If they kept going. But like the Panasonics for a long time, I think... The Since entire time the we've owned them. GH2 or is it GH1 could too? I think... You could record the whole card. Maybe if you had the European version of the camera, it wouldn't record sure. just 30. But yeah, my cameras, you can just keep going. And that's important for weddings. Yeah. Uh, is the ability to roll through an entire, you know... My my recordings, even for a 30 or 45 minute ceremony, by the time you hit record and get everything ready, you know, you're going to have an hour long video file, so... Yeah. I mean, my my advice to people who have like a Canon T3i, which I think has a recording limit. I mean, I think some cameras would run into like that 12 minute recording limit when sure. they hit four gigs on the card, they'd stop recording. Yeah. But uh, I my advice was just roll two cameras, start them at different times, you stagger them, right? Maybe <laughs> just have a watch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you 
how you get around it uh, besides getting a different camera. Yeah, so two cameras, one's rolling, and then when you have to stop and restart it, you just make sure the other camera's got a good shot at that moment, and then you yeah. can edit around it. Well, yeah, even my cameras, at one of the last events I was shooting, the event was like an hour and a half, and I think I was shooting in 4K, and on the cards I had, I couldn't fit an hour and a half. I think I could fit almost an hour. Right. And so I just kept an eye on them and knew that if one of them cut off and as long as another one's rolling, then I have coverage. Yep. And I have time to switch out the cards. So here's an email I got from Christopher, uh, who's asking about interviews. And this is perfect because I would do interviews in in weddings. But he's wondering how to get genuine, non-canned sounding responses. Because, uh, yeah, sometimes when you interview people, I, I find if you ask a yes or no question. You get a yes or no answer. <laughs> yeah, especially... If, especially with people getting married because they are it seems like they are the last people that want to be on camera like answering a question <laughs> sure so you're if you're like hey mr groom uh do you really love your wife to be yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you can't ask yes or no questions that's that's a big part. so what would you ask um i mean i try to ask open-ended questions like and i also would try to ask questions that maybe are throwaway questions just to get them talking. Sure. Like, let me start with a question that's not important. Like, how are you feeling today? Uh, is it going well? And maybe I'll get, maybe they'll be like, today is such an exciting day. I mean, I might yeah. get a really good answer, but I'll just keep asking questions until I get the thing I need, knowing that they're not all going to be good. Uh, and I might just say, you know, tell me about how you guys met or. Uh... Open-ended questions. Just yeah. see where it goes. Yeah. Sure. And ask follow-ups. When they when they say something badly, don't just move on. If they say, oh, we met in college. So how's that different than what you do in your regular documentary work? It's, it's very similar. Uh, I mean, it helps to know what you need. Like, I know that I need to tell a story, so I'm going to ask questions, whether it's documentary or, or a wedding, that kind of hits all the plot points. Like... So this is part of kind of your pre-production process is kind of having a general idea of where you yeah. want the narrative to go. Yeah. Like, you need to ask questions about the end of the story, too, and the beginning of the story. So I may ask them how they met, and I'm going to ask them how they're feeling today. And, and how are you going to feel when you're when, up there, when you're up there yeah. and you say, I do? Like, I'm going to try to get all that stuff. Uh, get them to even talk about things that haven't happened yet in the wedding, just so I have a little bit of everything. Sure. But, yeah, I guess you, – you, and you got to get people comfortable. Like, make sure they're looking at you and they ignore the camera and – you know, when I'm interviewing regular people just for news, I always say the same corny thing at the beginning. I'm always like, all right, my first question's real simple. It's just if you could say your name and spell it for me. <laughs> just to like, like, you can talk. It's fine. Uh, this will be easy. Plus, you need to know how to spell their name. Right, yeah. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. Josh has emailed us. Uh, he's a podcast listener via YouTube. Uh, he's think, making fun of I you. I think he's because... making fun of me because I, I ripped on the YouTube listeners. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> he was recently hired to record a commercial for a local business. He searched around to find out information for shooting, editing, a commercial situation. What should he know in terms of frame rate, delivery, things like that for a commercial shoot? Yeah. Well, it's always important to realize that you don't need to shoot and deliver the same frame rate and format. So think first about the demands of the project. Maybe it needs to be shot in 4K, even if it won't be delivered that way. Sure. Maybe you need to punch in or you need that higher resolution for effects or something. And maybe you need higher frame rate because you're going to do slow motion in the commercial. So make sure you're shooting it the right way. And then when you're editing, figure out 
what is this delivery that's sure. going to be needed? I mean, in the U.S., for television, almost everything is 30 frames per second, and a lot of it's 1080 if you're mm-hmm. doing, uh, doing high definition. So that's probably what you're delivering. What surprised me when I did some commercial work in central Illinois was I thought surely they're going to need like a ProRes file, like the highest quality, right? Yeah. But I was just delivering things straight to Comcast, the local cable carrier. Sure. Like I was doing some commercials for a local politician. And they would just go straight to Comcast, and they would just want them in H.264. Oh. Which is actually a broadcast quality. Like I think things are converted to H.264 over the air. Sure. So just give them a decent bit rate. I think they specifically gave me a bit rate they wanted. So they wanted like H.264, 15 megabits per second, which I think is a is pretty good quality for sure. 1080. Yeah, I mean, I would deliver that on YouTube. So, but 30 frames per second is pretty standard. Yeah, but I think the point is it, it may vary on who's receiving this. Maybe the cable provider directly, they may have some some requirements. Maybe an ad agency is going to do some additional work on it or something, or they're going to convert it to all their different places sure. for Europe. So I guess just figure out what the client needs and where it's going to land. Perfect. So that's it for this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back at our normal day, Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the blog post that I wrote a few years ago called Five Lessons Learned from My Profitable Documentary, mm-hmm. my indie documentary. But I'm actually, I've updated it. It's, years later. It's, it's, it's been three years now uh, since the film came out, and it's still making money, which I can't believe. And uh, it's it's been profitable. It's awesome. So we're going to walk through exactly where it's made money and the lessons I've learned from that. Uh, that'll be next Wednesday. In the meantime, I'm actually up for an award right now. What? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, You know the Shorty Awards? No. They're like a social media award. Oh, okay. Uh, and Bloomberg Politics, some of our live coverage of the election, uh, I was involved in producing some of the live coverage, but also we were airing things during the live coverage that I shot. So I'm named in this award. Like and your name. It's not just Bloomberg politics. Yeah, no, it's, it's, Griffin it's Hammond. like 10 of us from Bloomberg. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to help us win an award, and I can say I'm a shorty award winning filmmaker. <laughs> oh, it's like a public vote? Yeah, it's a public vote. Uh, so you can just go to hey.film. It'll be in the show notes. Please vote. Yeah. I might vote for you. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to see who else is up. Maybe I want to vote for somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> so go to hey.film and uh, we'll... You'll hear from us on Wednesday. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Cool. God, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) Griffin just dumped water everywhere. (laughs) That's going to be the uh, end tag promo thing.